Hey guys, welcome to Redefining Greatness. Welcome back to some of you. Uh, first time listeners, welcome. On this episode, I speak with Mitch Morse, who is the center for the Buffalo Bills. Uh, Mitch is an, an honestly just a phenomenal human being. Throughout my time in KC, I watched him interact with many different individuals, and that was one of the main reasons why I knew I needed to have him on the podcast. Throughout my time in KC, uh, we shared a pretty special bond. Uh, he and I both have two special needs siblings, and I wanted to highlight how that shaped who he is as a player and as a person. Throughout the conversation, we talk about Pat Mahomes, Josh Allen, and Alex Smith, and some of the similarities between all of them. We also talk about Coach Reed and Sean McDermott and how he's able to see some of the organizational similarities. And then we touch on him being a new father and some of the, the challenges that he faces with balancing life and football. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. I appreciate you for jumping on today. I wanted to start off uh, a, a brief story and maybe you can kind of walk me through how it kind of molded you as a, as a player and a person. Uh, one day, it was a, I think it was your first year in uh, Kansas City. It was at training camp and uh, you were talking to, to some people who had special needs. And I remember watching how you interacted with them. And I remember you made their day that much better. Um, and you walked away smiling. And I have a twin brother that has cerebral palsy. And I remember thinking, watching you talk to him and, and thinking like, uh, this is just such a great dude. And I wanted to, to, to talk to you about that and how, you know, being coming from a situation that's unique to, to you, but uh, to you probably feels very normal. Uh, how did that kind of help shape who you are and, and kind of the player that you are? Well, I think, you know, I'll go two different directions here. One is football is such a cultural melting pot, right? I think that's one of the most unique things. Well, just about sports in general. I mean, you can say about soccer, many sports, is that you get these collective group of guys who come from such different backgrounds and whose realities are just different, and it works. And you come together for a collective goal. And um, for me, I'm sure that, like you said, I grew up with a very disabled brother. Um, you know, my reality it would be hard for someone else to imagine that. But at the same time, in the inverse situation, a bunch of guys' realities growing up, I couldn't imagine either. We were very fortunate. Monetarily, we were very fortunate. And, uh, um, you know, that was just our cross to bear. Um, and for me, and especially in the special needs community, I think people, when I was growing up with my brother, I would get very upset with people interacting with him. And for, for, for the longest time, I thought it was because people were, uh, found him disgusting or stuff like that. But the same, but you look into it, people want to engage. People yeah. want to act, you know, people are good. Honestly, there's, there's some outliers, but for the most part, I believe people are good. It's just, they haven't had the opportunity to interact with people with disabilities or special needs. So um, I always tell people just start off like you're talking to anyone else um, and then go from there. And when you do that, you engage people and they feel like one of the dudes or they feel like one of the crew. And in the end, I think what, you know, just because they have special needs doesn't mean they don't want to be involved like anyone else. So um, I appreciate that. I, it was one of those crazy deal. And it's one of those fun things about training camp, um, which who knows will, if it will be like that for, you know, the foreseeable future. Um, but you get to interact with people who it still is weird to be technically someone that people look up to mm -hmm. or people are interested in. Um, it's just an interesting dynamic, but I appreciate you. And I remember our conversation uh, about your brother too. It was very, you had these interesting conversations with people you don't, you don't realize are come from similar situations. Yeah. 
and uh, and it's an immediate bond. And I feel like we had that, and that was pretty cool. Uh, it's funny that you mentioned uh, how, telling people how to interact with your brother or how to interact with people in the special needs community. Uh, my brother, he, he passed away a few years ago now, but people would look at my brother and kind of stare. And he was severely wheelchair uh, ridden and and uh, people would stare and he'd get real pissed, you know, just like looking at him and and uh, didn't know how to. He didn't obviously he couldn't speak, so he couldn't communicate that to them. And so then the interaction's worse, you know, and, and kids didn't know how to handle it. Uh, I think. It's something that's hard, you know, when and people feel uncomfortable with something that's that's difficult. How ha- how did that that upbringing uh, kind of help you face different challenges as your career has gone on? Sure. Um, well, I think one of those things that you brought up, and I'll just allude to this, is like just because people are uncomfortable, it took me a while for understand it. Because people are uncomfortable, that doesn't mean that they're like it's not a bad thing. It's just they're uncomfortable with it, yeah. so they have to learn. Um, yeah, I think dog life is full of just ups and downs, right? As cliche as that is, um, it's the truth. Uh, peaks and flows, and I've had plenty of those. In the football realm, I think the biggest um, hurdle for me has been injuries. And unfortunately, you hate to get this injury stigma, um, but I guess I kind of have it a little bit, and that's tough. And I think one of the things that you – injury itself, the physical rehab is tough. But I think the thing that people don't see that's even more difficult is feeling removed from the group, feeling removed from the team. You're part of the team, but you don't feel involved. Mm-hmm. Um, because especially in a professional level, like, you know, it's just because the next week's that next, I mean, it's work week. Still got to win, and yeah. You still got to win. You got to plug and play dudes. And I think that's a tough thing to kind of get past. And it's still tough for people who've been in this business for a while is that it is a business. Um, but you know, with the, the thing that I think that my brother's situation helped me was really set a strong bond with my parents and, and my wife, for that matter, who's gotten to know my brother over the years. And uh, just having a group of people that keep you grounded, right? Because mm-hmm. your reality sometimes seems like it could be the end of the world if something's not going well. Um, but when you really look back at it and, uh, and look at other people's situations, you realize that you know, this is just a, first of all, just a blip in time and your, in your reality. And secondly, it really isn't that bad. And uh, I think that's something I've learned and you kind of got to grow from it. Yeah. Your parents seemed like that they embodied that, you know, like uh, the challenges of, of a situation are really just a blessing that that's no kind of how things go, you know? No doubt. My father converted uh, to Catholicism, which is our religion and uh, became very engaged in the faith. Um, yeah, it changes who we are, the core to the core. And I think I wouldn't want it any other way. Awesome, man. Well, I remember, you know, when you first came to KC, you were a second round pick um, out of Mizzou. Uh, I wish Mitch Holtis were here to give you a little shout out. Um, you know, but uh, I, I think about when you first got there and it, the the offensive line room was probably in, I don't know if disarray is the word, but there were a lot of moving pieces. Uh, but, you know, I was curious as to your feelings of, of any feelings of pressure when you got there Rodney had just left um there was kind of a mixed group at your position and then you get kind of thrown in this you know second round pick a pretty high pick and then did you did you feel any pressure that you needed to start well I think the pressure for me that's a good question um yeah you know with certain rounds comes certain expectation right yeah you might say the first through third third is you're expecting immediate contributions um, I was so involved or just 
worried about surviving that the next day. Mm-hmm. I mean, because it was such a culture shock, man. You know what I mean? Coming from, you know, just from college to pros, not just Mizzou, but coming from college to pros, um, the playbook was more expansive. Your, your room is full of guys who are grown men, who have families. Um, guys are really battling for their livelihoods. And it's just more intense, and it's a job. And not that it wasn't in college to a certain extent, but the pros is definitely a job. And I think I was in a fortunate position. You know, I really attribute a lot of my success to you know, Coach Reed, first and foremost, and, um, but also Andy Heck, who is our offensive line coach. Well, maybe one of the best in the business. I've been fortunate to be around some good ones, even though I'm in Buffalo right now. But, um, you know, it was, it was one of those things that we had just lost Rodney, and, you know, he had signed a huge contract, and uh, you, you knew what kind of player he was. And, um, I, I didn't start off as a starter, which was great. I still had so much to learn. I mean, I remember not having – we might have had a tight end attached to uh, the line a few times in college, and now we're throwing three dudes. Yeah. There's like nine in the box. You have to ID it. I've never even seen these kind of defenses. And then you have to be the guy who kind of directs everything. And there's a lot of growing pains. And uh, we had a few veteran guards. You know, Jeff Allen was in his fourth year, and we had a guy named Ben Grubbs who was going into his ninth. It was a great guy, and they helped me out a lot. And, um, man, I think it's one of those things that I came in, and Eric Cush was the starting center at the time. And I owe a lot to him because, you know, much like Pat being drafted with Alex, I was drafted, and you could say there was, you know, writing on the wall. I don't think there was, but, um, you know, the guy could have been a not a good dude to me. And what he was was he was everything. He was nice. He was forthcoming with information, took me in. We went on 4th of July together. Just a great dude, and he helped me yeah. out a lot. And Love I the think there's guys like, guys like that in the league. And that's what you – like, my time with that's going to come. It's, it's cut sooner rather than later, right? It's just the, the writing's on the wall. And I hope that I have as much grace. And because it's my duty to do that to the next person. And I think that's one of the things in pros is that, yes, it is your job, but at the same time, you were helped. So you kind of have a duty to help the next person behind you, which, you know, which is probably coming sooner rather than later for me. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I love Kush. Kush is, is an awesome dude. Uh, you know, anybody that's a weight room guy, you know, is one of the guys that I'll love no matter what. So. He's a great dude. Great guy. Great, great guy. guy. Uh, you know, being in the situation that you're in now in Buffalo, uh, and then also in, in KC, you had Pat there. You know, uh, both big arm quarterbacks, you know, obviously um, – I've heard a lot of great things about Josh Allen, you know, and I've heard you speak to him on different platforms, but, you know, how would you say, or how would you best compare the two as far as, you know, just off the field, you know, type of guy that they are? Yeah, I think, like one of those things, talking about being around great coaches, which I've had been in the past uh, and the present for sure. I've been around some really good quarterbacks, including Josh. Um, You have, you know, Pat, you have Smitty, who I owe a lot to. Um, Alex Smith, who's just one dude, you can talk about him for a whole podcast. And then, right. and, and then Josh, and I think there's there's three good things. One is the competitive nature. You walk in the huddle and you can tell they're fiery and they want to win. Two is also their huddle presence. And that's when a guy comes in the huddle and you can tell he has command and understanding of the game plan. And you can almost say it when, he, when, when the guy is – reading off the play he's looking you know the play is so expansive the play the call it just sounds like gibberish but each part of the play call pertains to a certain group a receivers uh, offensive line running back and formation and he as he as they're saying it they're kind of 
they're looking at the position group that it pertains to. And I find that really cool. And all those guys do that. And, and then thirdly is you want guys to trust you and guys to battle for you and love you. And you do that by being an awesome dude off the field, uh, a guy who cares, a guy who gets along with everyone. Um, I mean, it needs to be, you know, also the kind of guy who rallies everyone around when they need to, but the guy you'd want to have a drink with or kind of grab a bite to eat with. And all those dudes have that same characteristic that you just want to be around them because they're good people. Yeah. You know, you mentioned Josh, uh, the, in the huddle presence. I don't know why, but that's something that I, I think is fascinating probably because as a strength coach would never see that in my life. I see you guys Monday through Saturday, mostly and a little bit on Sunday, but then you guys go and, and you play. So in the huddle and Josh is reading, reading the play to you and, and it's go time. You guys are trying to come back to win or, or first play of the game or whatever it is. You kind of feed off of them, right? So that, you know, oh, yeah. you know, Absolutely. what's that like when feelings are high or emotions are running high sure. and, and what's it like? I want to speak to where you are now. Obviously I think that's more important. Right. Um, you know, so say, I, I remember we're in the Houston Texans game, this playoff game last year, we ended up losing, but, uh, we're either in overtime or fourth quarter to come back and either tie it or try to win the game. And it was definite. It was so loud. Uh, you know, the huddles real tight and it was a big third down. And I don't think the play before it was too hot. Right. Um, and even the way you say the play, the, your voice inflection, anything, the way you, your eyes, the eye contact, it's almost the nonverbal stuff that you look at. Are you holding, you're holding yourself up high? Are you coming in with a little bit of bravado? Like, let's, let's do this. We got this. That goes a long way. And I remember him coming in there, cool, calm and collected, looking at everyone like, we're going to figure this out. And we ended up, I don't forget the play, but we ended up converting. And uh, it was one of those things like, if you come in panicked, even subconsciously for guys who are confident, the guy who's at the helm of it, which is the quarterback, you're like, well, if he's not confident or if he's, in, if he's rattled up, like, should I be rattled up? There's no right. way. So you just don't know. And uh, the way he was, especially in the year two of, of you know, his career, um, it was very cool to see. And it was something that I had seen before in a guy like Alex and even Pat. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, you mentioned coaches. I love I – mean, I'm sure many people know this, but uh, Coach McDermott was with Coach Reed in Philly uh, for a short stint there. And uh, I, I've only had the chance to meet him once, uh, so I, don't, I don't, can't really speak to him personally. But now that you've had the chance to be there a year, um, are there any similarities in the two, uh, the way that they kind of run the organization? Yeah, I think um, transparency is a big one, right? I think guys who – kind of no BS, right? Yeah. You, you want a guy who's going to speak his mind. There's truth to that. Sometimes it's not what you want to hear, but, um, but you know, when a guy's truthful, you can put your, all your chips in that basket. Like I can give my whole self to you because I know where you stand with me and that you won't screw me over. Right. Because we, along with that comes that both him and coach Reed are, you're on my team. I got your back hundred percent, no matter what. And that was very cool. Um, competitive. I think competitive practices, they put, you want to put us in competitive situations. And then one thing that both coaches do very well is situational football and practicing situational football. A big part of both their practices are different situations that you're going to run into in games. And even, uh, even of the obscure ones, 
you want to be in a position where you've at least rehearsed that once or twice. Right. Does that provide a comfort level when presented with certain situations? Yeah, I think it's incredibly important. Even the ones that you don't think you're ever going to run into, I promise you, you might once or yeah. twice in your career. One yeah, of the ones yeah. I think of is uh, the, I don't know if you remember, uh, the Dallas game. You were 2017. Yeah, 2017. yeah we, we go to Dallas. We practice every Saturday, every walkthrough, and it's like, yeah, yeah this is never going to work. And then we bring it out one day in Dallas and Tyreek's just running all over the field. It was, it was remarkable. Yeah, just like something like that. And uh, when in a game, we should, I mean, we should have won that game. We, we ended up playing not the hottest, but it put us in a position to come out in the second half with momentum. And right. I mean, yeah, we could have just had a chump change, throw it out, run the clock, don't turn it over, but we, we capitalized. I mean, and the yeah. play before that to put us in that position was another play that we had ran before at situation. So yeah. it was two situational plays that we practiced. And, you know, you could see as a player, like, when the hell is this going to happen? What's going to happen? Well, yeah. And are we going to capitalize it or not? That's awesome. Yeah, I love that. So I think about you personally, and, and I've had the chance to get to know you quite a bit. And and it's something that I, you know, you're definitely a player that I'd consider to be uh, a great player who loves to compete, who loves to work. But one of the things that I, th when I think about you, I think of uh, overcoming a lot of challenges and just the ability to kind of grind through any challenges that are presented in front of you. You know, what advice would you give to somebody who's, who's facing certain challenges that they'd want to, to overcome those things that are, that are being faced with? Sure. Uh, that's a good question. Um, for me, I rely heavily on my support system. Not so much to get me through stuff. You know, I know a lot of that hard work you got to put on yourself. Right? Um, that doesn't mean you have to carry the burden by yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, you ha have to cross the finish line, but that doesn't mean you can't get help or feel from someone else to get you through it. Um, finding someone you trust, I mean, really trust, whether it be a family member or a friend, or if you have multiple, use every exhaust every avenue in that regards because dude as human beings we're not meant to do stuff or go through challenges by ourselves where we need help we need spiritual help i think that's a big thing right um you know this is i mean it's could be going off the beaten path but you know there's different ways to praise god right there's but at the same time it's the same god and he's going to help you out um if you ask for it and uh and in the end it's just doing work man i love working i do i love doing the the nitty-gritty stuff and um, i'm always trying to get better at that and, uh but i think the biggest thing is find help find someone you trust and then lean on them and kind of give yourself be open about it and i mean if it's if it's something that everyone knows is going on people might reach out to you but don't shun away from that because that's the easy thing to do and then you're just going to dig yourself a bigger hole yeah for sure i love that uh you know um that that little documentary the the bills did on on diving in deeper on you and your family um they talked a lot about the buffalo bills community and i think if you if anybody's on social media they'll know that the the bills uh so the bills following is a definitely a unique group of individuals i have a buddy that's uh has an instagram his name is ginger woodworks you know um you talk about the community you know you talk you you talk about how much you appreciate the community and um, and you're not, you're not unique in that aspect, but how would you, uh, how have you liked being in Buffalo? How have you liked, how has the community uh, sure. rallied around the team? Yeah. You know, the Buffalo community is such a prideful one. Yeah. Um, you know, they're really proud to be, you know, either from Western New York or associated with the team somehow. Um, rain, sleet or snow, they're coming, they're partying. 
right? Yeah. I think that's it. And and they want people that they they love the community, they love the the feeling, the Bills Mafia, the you know that stigma. It's they love it and they embody it, and it's more than just a fan base loving a football team. It's it's uh, it's a way of life. It's a collective group of people who you know. I mean, besides the biggest thing is love of Buffalo, but um, you know they're gracious people, and you know and you have these preconceived notions of New York. You have preconceived notions of. Buffalo, just because you don't know anything about it. And you get there, and it's blown away. It's People are very kind, um, very very forthcoming with you know, gratitude. Um, at the same time, they, they love the Bills. Uh, very giving, giving people. And they're fun. It's just kind of – it's one of those things that y- you end up sitting down at a bar with someone and you chat for hours. They, they just – it's hard to explain. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's an immediate feeling of comfort when you're around the Bills community in Buffalo and just around the Bills Mafia. It's something that it's hard to describe, but it's definitely there. Awesome. Awesome. I, I, I know that they, uh, I've only, we only played, I've only, I should say, I've only been there one time. Um, I was a ball boy and I forgot my, my cold weather gear and it was a, <laughs> it was a rainy wet game and I was miserable, but, uh, not because of any fault of other than my own, you know. Um, hey, once you hit October up there, Bubba, you're not seeing that sun now. No, That's no, real. That's something real. It's, they put stick. They put stakes in your front yard so they can find where your driveway is to snowball to to. And these stakes are like feet. They're, they're not small, but they're not tiny little stakes. These are some fat boys. They put wow. in your front. They can they can dig you out when it snows, which it will. It's, and it's not funny. They dig you out, huh? Oh yeah, dude, efficient machines. The people and the machinery are efficient. <laughs> no, is nothing, dude. I That's had to get awesome. rid of my boy though. I had to get a big boy, my car wise. Oh, did you? Yeah, I had to do it. Good, good for you. Yeah, well, yeah, that happened. No more. Uh, is you still, do you still have the Jeep? No, I got rid of the Jeep and then got drafted, or and I got signed to Buffalo, so I could have used the Jeep. It's starting to smell. The Jeep was smelly. And my wife, my wife wouldn't drive in it, which is a big no-no. So that's a sign that it's time. The, the smelly cars, like you in Buffalo, it's a fa- no fault other than my own. You're um, right, but it happens. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, you know, being a new father, you know how how have you been able to balance uh, uh, football and family and the, the new demands of of life? But I don't know how people have kids during season. I don't. No. I'm, we were fortunate enough to have her um, late February, right? That's so, a win. That's a big win. Big win. And um, yeah, because you you have no choice but to completely emotionally and physically, twenty four hours a day, seven days a week, that kid keeping that kid alive, fed, and changing those poopy dikes because you know those are coming. They're coming. But they're coming, and it's <laughs> nonstop with this kid. Um, anyways, and. Every day, you, well, you hear this the sappy stuff that the parents tell you, like, you'll understand one day when you have a kid. And you're like, mm-hmm. oh, whatever. I called my dad immediately. I mean, and every day it just gets stronger and stronger. Like, this kid is just all I think about. She's, she's just perfect, man. And it, it really does make life that much sweeter and gives you a little extra incentive and a little different motivation, which is fun. That's awesome. Our, our little girl was born in the end of February as well, a few years back. Um, and then going into I remember a couple that. years. 
couple years later, we had a we had a little boy born in April, like the week before off season program started. Nope. And dude, I remember you know in the weight room just standing there like a zombie. I don't know, like two hours of sleep. People were like, what? Why are you so tired? I'm like, dude, you don't even know. Dude, that that's the other thing. It really is a whole other level of tired. Yeah, it's a new level of tired for sure. No doubt, hundred yeah. percent. It's great. How how has it been? Uh, you shifting your focus to supporting Katie and taking your selfish things and be like, all right, you're going to go, this is going to go on hold and let me focus on being the guy that she needs. Uh, yeah. Well, well first need. of all, once you see that kid come out of your wife, it's a whole nother level of, you really don't understand what these people go through. Like, these people, these gals go through. <laughs> it is insane. It is. No. Insane. It's, it's crazy. And they really are superheroes. And once you see that, your your Change. respect, it's or you're just your outlook on your wife completely changed. She's a, she's a superhero, right? And she, I mean, to be honest, these first few months, they put they not only have to give birth, and they got to take on most of this craziness, the feeding. So I just try to help any way I can, right? And I think the biggest thing is I, video games are something I'll never do again, right? They're just gone, and that's fine. I'll never be able to play a video game again because I just I can't. I don't have time. Because you could be doing something there, else with that there, time. Like I could be, I could be taking off trash or doing something. something productive, cooking, cleaning. I don't know, but these gals, I'm telling you, it's 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 insane. And uh, you hear all these things, and you take it with a grain of salt. You think you take it with a grain of salt, and then you realize that they're all true. Right. And uh, but you have to you have to experience it yourself to understand that that is reality. Awesome, man. No, I think uh, you're you're 100 right. Yeah, my wife's a big. Uh, you know, before we before we had kids, video games were like, eh, I'd prefer you don't do that. And now I don't want to say wasteful time, but it's more like a guilty pleasure. She'll be like, what should I, I could get the eye. And then it's like, oh, you know, I'm sure. going to put this away, you know. Well, my, my wife's sneaky about it. She, she's, well, before the kid was coming, she would be like, no, it's cool. You can video game. I'll just be over here on my phone. And you're sitting there playing video games with your wife's so like you feel, and she's like sub, subconsciously guilting you. Yeah. At work. And now, <laughs> Now she's done that where she's implanted that in my brain. Mm-hmm. So if I drive, to it, she's like, no, yeah, you have a few minutes. You can do it. Nope. She's infested my mind. Don't do infected. it. She's there. Infested. Just try to expand my vocabulary. There we go. No, man. I, you know, I uh, really appreciate you coming on today. Um, I definitely uh, have taken quite a bit that I'm g- going to apply, you know, um, um, and thank you for taking the time. I know you're a busy family, man. Dog, I, I'm going nowhere. So I appreciate you giving me a call and, and your shooting stuff is always fun. And uh, I'm glad I was able to keep it pretty PG. You did phenomenal. In regards to my vocabulary. All right, guys, that is the end of episode number four. I'd like to give a huge thank you to Mitch. A shout out to him for, for spending a few minutes with me. Um, if you guys enjoyed the episode, share it on social media, share it with your friends, tell them about it. Um, ultimately, the idea of this podcast is to shed light on the who these people are so the more you do that the more we're able to carry out the mission of of this podcast so thank you very much for listening and tune in next week